turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we will finish the chapter this morning. Let me read our text. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll read verses 25 to 28. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, a son made perfect forever. Lord, we do come to you in prayer. And we seek your face now as we read your word and hear your word and ask you by the power of your spirit through your holy word to speak to us, Lord. We pray Hebrews 4.12, that this word that is alive and, and powerful and sharp would do a penetrating work in our hearts. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Last week, I started the sermon by talking about that I was, I was unclear with hearing this song. I thought the song was saying ankle butter when it was singing, Ain't Nobody Better. And the song was really about Jesus. But I was unclear in my own head. But I thought, maybe I should actually read the lyrics of the song to be sure it's a Christian song even. <laughs> so, these are the lyrics of the song. And you can tell me, are they clear lyrics about Jesus? It will start with the chorus. Ain't nobody better. Hey, hey. Ain't nobody better. Ain't nobody better. Hey. Maybe those aren't your kind of lyrics. They, they are my kind of lyrics. That's about how complex I can get in terms of a chorus. But then it continues. Jesus, you are the risen Son of God. You gave your life and overcame it all. Now I will sing that you are the risen king, because you are the risen king. I will conquer everything. Your name, your name, high above all others. All praise, all praise to the one who saves us. My God, my God, there will be no greater. Yea, there will be no greater. My king, my lord, my savior. Pretty good lyrics. <laughs> Pretty clear lyrics. And that is what several books in the New Testament, but the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 is trying to do for us and for the people that it was written to, and that is to paint a very clear picture of who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is? Do I know who Jesus is? Who Jesus really is? Because these 
believers that this book was written to, and we ourselves either have been or will be tempted to give up Christ in some way. And some way, somehow, through difficulties, through some kind of pressure or persecution, through sin, there has been or will come a time in your life where you will be tempted to throw in the towel of faith and to give up on Christ Jesus. And so it matters that we understand how special and precious that Jesus Christ truly is. Don't throw in the towel of your faith. Rather, take hold of Christ by faith. That's the message of this chapter. And it's going to instruct us on this by helping us to practice it through the emphasis of the text, which we've seen, the explanation of the text, and the exhortation of the text. And we've already looked at five explanations of the text. We're going to look at one more today, and then we'll look at the exhortations that come out of the text. Now, as I've said, we've already seen five explanations of this text. That is chapter 7. We're going to look at a sixth explanation of the text. Again, don't throw away, don't toss in, in other words, the the white towel as they would in a football game or a boxing match and the opponent wants to give up and say, I surrender. Don't surrender your faith in Christ to the world or to your sin, but rather take hold by faith of Christ even stronger. The explanation, the the rationale of that is found in chapter 7, really the whole book, but here, chapter 7. And we've seen five explanations of that. The sixth and final one this morning will be in verses 26 to 28. And it's this, the sixth explanation. Jesus Christ can be trusted more than anyone else because he is better than any created thing in the universe. Jesus Christ, you can trust Jesus Christ more than anything or anybody because he's better than any created thing in the whole universe. Nothing is as great or good or better than Jesus. Jesus is the best there is. If you drift away from Christ to some kind of entity, object, person, love, then you're facing a great deficit because you no longer are grasping hold of that goodness, righteousness, faithfulness, perfection of Christ. There is nothing as terrific as trusting Jesus Christ. Giving up your trust in Christ is trading a diamond for a heap of dung. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Now, in context, the writer, the Spirit of God through this writer, is talking about how Jesus Christ is the great high priest in the same order of Melchizedek, that he's the priest king, even that he's the Messiah, the priest, the prophet, the king. And then in verses 26 to 28, really he's explaining, uh, giving support for verse 25. 
Verse 25 says that Jesus Christ is the best prayer warrior ever. He's the perfect prayer warrior, the all-powerful prayer warrior, and he lives to pray for every single believer. It's as if Jesus Christ is praying John 17, the great high priestly prayer, for every single believer in this room all the time. Your prayers might fail, but the prayers of Jesus Christ fail. You might fail to pray, will Jesus Christ fail to pray? No. To support that, then verse 26 to 28 is given. And it's saying Jesus Christ is the best there is in all of creation. No angel, no prophet, no priest, nothing in the created universe is as good, as great as Jesus Christ. To unfold this, first, this text says that Jesus is holy. You see that in verse 26. Look at verse 26. For it was fitting, it was right for us to have such a high priest like Jesus, to have this terrific, great high priest because he is first holy. Now, this is not the word hagios. You see throughout the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, other books where it talks about saints. Saints are believers. They're called hagios. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is, uh, Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's talking about Jesus and it uses the Greek word hagios, set apart. This is actually a different Greek word. It's, it sounds close, but it's not hagios. It's hazios. And it's not so much set apart in terms of in an abstract way, but it's more of dedication and commitment and devotion. It's more of piety. Here in verse 26 then, when it says holy, it's talking about the piety and devotion of Jesus to God his Father was absolutely unique in all the history of the earth and is still unique to this day. Nobody as was devoted to God the Father as Jesus Christ. Ever. That's what this word here, when it says holy, means. He was devout in pleasing God. Often today there's books Sermons, songs about being God-centered, ministries about being God-centered or God-driven. Truly, in all of history, there's been truly one perfectly all-consuming human that's been God-driven and God-devoted and God-centered, absolutely perfect all their life, and that is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one. That's what here in context, this word holy means. You can read the Gospels and see that primarily Jesus was about fulfilling God the Father's mission for him. You can read the Lord's Prayer and see that it was all about our Father who is in heaven, let your will be done, let your kingdom come. Even he said his daily bread was to do the will of the Father. Well, this is our great high priest who is 
living to intercede for those that have trust him. He intercedes on behalf in the, the gap instead of all those believers who trust him. He is one where they have not been all consumed with their devotion to God 24-7, 365 days a year. Where you and I have failed to do that, Jesus has not. Ever. Do you need to grow in your devotion to God? Yes, I do. I need to grow in my devotion to God. Jesus Christ, God the Son, has been and is so devoted to God the Father, he doesn't need to grow in his devotion to God the Father. He's perfectly devoted to God the Father. There is no pastor, no parent, no Bible counselor, no spouse. Though those humans can can help you, none of those are as perfect in their devotion to God the Father like Jesus Christ. And so this text is telling these believers who, again, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, that they, they were really saved that they knew Christ, but they were being tempted to leave Christ and go back to an Old Testament Judaism that had been corrupted and or had been fulfilled, so it was no longer valid, but hope should be placed in Christ and Christ alone. They were being tempted to, to leave Christ and go back to an old, stale religion. And it seems by how often the Levites... And Aaron and Melchizedek are mentioned that they're being encouraged to, you know, you you came to Christ, you trusted Jesus, and life didn't get better. Life got worse. And even some of your loved ones are, are in prison. Maybe some have died. And you've had your own belongings stolen from you. Maybe some of them were homeless. Maybe you need to go back to your priest and offer a sacrifice of your sin. And so the Spirit of God is writing through this letter, telling these believers, no, stick with Christ. Because all these human priests that you're being encouraged to, to, to go to and to trust and to rely on, none of them, not even your pastors can you rely on in terms of their devotion to God, because it's not perfect. Only one is perfectly devoted to God. And that's Jesus Christ, God the Son himself. When I was younger, though I was not a good musician, we had this band, and one of the songs that we played had a lyric that said, Who are you going to run to? Who are you going to run to? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? And I think that's appropriate here for these believers and for you and I. Who else is devoted to God like God the Son? There is no one better than Jesus Christ. Second, in this list, he talks about Jesus being innocent. Innocent. It's the Greek word akakas. Kakas means evil or corrupt or bad. An A in front of it, an alpha in front of it, 
means not bad, not evil, not wicked. That is, that Jesus was devoid of all evil. He was positively good. He had no, no malice. He was blameless, the innocent lamb of God, and, and word or deed, he never had any sin. You can remember, and perhaps you even saw some of the words on the pot shirt on the screen during Sunday school. You can remember the trials of Jesus where false accusations were given one after another, but they were all false and they could not stick. And the, even, even the accusations were inconsistent and contradicted one another. Why? Because Jesus was truly the innocent Lamb of God. No accusations could stick to him. If somebody were to make a truckload of accusations about you, would some of those stick? I'm a sinner. My dog can make accusations against me, and they would stick. And I think it's true of all of us. None of us are innocent like Jesus. Not one of us. And it's not something that we brag in or boast in, but it, First John says if you say that you don't have no sin, that you're, you're calling God a liar. I have sin that I need to confess all the time. There's only one person that never had to confess their sin, and that was Jesus, because he never sinned. And he's the one, Hebrews 7.25, that is living to plead before God the Father for me even now. Even though the atonement is applied and it's, in a sense, signed, sealed, and delivered, I'm fully justified. Jesus is applying that to my life in several different ways. And he's the innocent, sinless one doing that for a sinner. The only guilt that Jesus had was my legal guilt placed upon him. And he bore that for all sinners who bow the knee and trust him. So then, deserting Christ for a person or a place or a thing or a different ideology or a hobby or some type of object, you're setting yourself up for major regret. You're going to set yourself up for bitterness. Because it's only the sinless one that can really satisfy you. The one that is innocent is the only one who will truly never, ever, ever let you down. Third, he gives a third description of Jesus that's similar to being innocent, but a little bit different. He says, undefiled. Holy, innocent, undefiled. What does this undefiled mean? It means unsoiled, uh, free from dirtiness, clean, unstained with sin, no contamination of sin. He never needed forgiveness. There was nothing that was hidden in the closet of Christ. For you and I, do we have things hidden in the closet of our lives? Surely, I think we do. 
some things that we would never want anybody to see. That's not true with Jesus. He has no hidden sin in his life, did not and does not ever. Sinless, inward and outward, absolute perfection. Now there's all these investigations going out and going on now about different political figures. But what if they decided we're going to launch an investigation in every single molecule of Tom Shuck's life? Could they find any dirt on me? I think, probably. I think so, if they look hard enough. Could they on you find dirt on you? I think so. But not with Jesus Christ. A thousand billion investigators that had some kind of angelic power could launch an investigation of Jesus. And when they were done, they would say, to tell the truth, clean. From top to bottom. From inside to outward. From the tip of his head to the bottom of his toes, he is 100% clean. The innocent, spotless Lamb of God. So then, you can trust him with everything and anything. You can trust him with everything and anything. Why wouldn't you trust him? Is there anyone here this morning that hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? Today is a day of salvation. Maybe you're being tempted to to run away from Christ, to give up Christ. In the past couple of years, we've seen big names, even pastors, some people even that don't have a big name, that we, but we love them, and they've given up Christ. Why? Truly, Jesus is the one that you can trust with everything. Nobody else is like Jesus. He is truly better than anybody. Trust him today. If you don't know Christ, repent and trust him today. Why put it off? He's Lord. He's Savior. He's good. He's the best there is. And you can trust him. Fourth. There's a fourth word that we see here. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Many words, but I describe it with one word, and that is successful. Look at verse 26 and notice these words. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens come together as one unit, and I think we can describe it as successful. That is, nobody has been as successful as Jesus Christ. How can we say that? Well, in the context of the book of Hebrews, when it says that he's separated from sinners, yes, we could understand that to mean in terms of, of his holiness, in terms of his, his regalness as being God the Son. But I think in context... It's moving a slightly different angle and talking about his successful mission. Like his devotion. He was 100% 
devoted all the time to God the Father and never ever failed in that? Have you ever failed in your devotion to God? Even when Satan said, look, you can have all the kingdoms of the earth, just bow down, just for one second, just maybe half a second, and it could be all yours. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to worship God and God alone. There was never a time in the life of Christ, even when he died and was spit upon and he was beat and he was crucified, that he ever failed, that he ever rejected God's plan. That was part of the plan. And what I'm referring to is, for example, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who, different than every other priest or high priest, Jesus Christ lived this 100% pure, obedient life, accomplished his mission successfully, and passed through the blue, beautiful sky that we see up and into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, having accomplished his mission. And this is even what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. When it says, when he had made purification of sins, that is, he died on the cross, taking God's wrath away from all sinners who would trust him, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He fulfilled his his work. He fulfilled his mission. Hebrews 2.17 He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus Christ This part of Hebrews 2, the earlier part of Hebrews 1, the part in Hebrews 4 that I read, and here in Hebrews 7, is talking about this so successful mission of Jesus Christ, his obedient life, his perfect substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, separated himself of being in an entirely unique class. Yes, because of his purity and holiness and divinity separated from sinners. But I think in context, even comparing him to the other priests and the high priest, he is absolutely unique and far above them and us all because he did what God said. And we have not. And so, as a result, he's exalted above the heavens. Not just in the heavens, but above the heavens. And it does remind me of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that Hebrews 7, 26, when it says separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, in a sense, Philippians 2, 5 through 12 is saying the same thing, though slightly different. And this is that he was 100% successful. Even though there was this onslaught of a tsunami of temptation and difficulty, the grievous, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But yet through it all, relying upon the Spirit of God and the promises of God the Father and the Word of God, the Son of God never sinned and was 100% obedient to the mission. And so then was far exalted. And one day, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. I think that is what verse 26 is saying. And so the Holy Spirit is saying to these believers and to us, why would you ever, ever dream about forsaking Christ and going to something that is absolutely incomparable, imaginally uncomparable, and a colossal failure compared to Jesus? Why would you run to somebody else for refuge and for hope? and for faith, and for forgiveness, and for salvation, even for significance and satisfaction, why would you go to any other place, any other person, rather than Jesus Christ? Nobody has been as successful as Jesus Christ. They have not. You can count up all the billionaires and take all their money and put it all together, and then when they all die, if they haven't trusted Jesus, what? They go to hell forever. And even if they have trusted Jesus, all that money, when they die, what happens? It's gone. And they might be paupers. True success is trusting Jesus Christ. Always. And every day. And for the rest of your life. Because he was 100% successful for you. And that's even what it's saying in verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The heartbeat, verse Hebrews 7.25, is saying that the heartbeat of Jesus is to be, in a true sense, your prayer warrior like no other prayer warrior. Because he was more successful than any other person that ever lived. And he was truly a real man. Didn't give up his divinity But the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 2 in Philippians 2, is saying that he was a true man. that And his incarnation relied upon the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the promises of God the Father. And was victorious in all of that. And so not only would you trust Jesus, you must trust Jesus. There is no other option. Whether because of his divinity or whether because of his beauty. Here because of his success. Now, verse 27 is, 28 is going to even clarify this more. It's going to give more, more clarity. You can look at verse 27 and see the contrast that it's going to give. Human 
priest that might even be godly and know the Lord, those in the Old Testament era, they still sinned. And so you can see verse 27, they had to offer up a sacrifice for their own sins before they could offer up this sacrifice for the people. And then this had to be continued yearly, all the time. But because of the the character of Jesus, and because Jesus Christ fulfilled the mission that was given to him by God the Father, because he was the innocent Lamb of God, he didn't need to offer up a sacrifice for his own sins. And so when he died, that was a once and for all death that would, would cover anybody and everybody that comes humbly to Jesus Christ and says, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Lord, I have no hope apart from you. Lord, forgive me. Save me. I, I trust in you today and I turn from my own sin, Lord. Save me, Lord, by your grace. Whoever comes to him can be saved. He died once to cover everybody's sin who would ever trust in him. And even here in verse 27 when it says, when he offered up himself, that himself here is emphatic. It's the idea that, yes, this was the plan of God the Father, but God the Son didn't do it because he had his hand tied behind his back or he was stomping his foot or crossing his arms. For the joy sat before him, Jesus endured the cross. Yes, there was agony and there was this prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, but Jesus said victoriously, not my will, but your will be done. And there was this voluntarily uh, gladness where Jesus went to the cross to offer himself up And to receive my and your illegal guilt for all of us who rely and take refuge in him. And so this is the uniqueness of Christ compared to all the Old Testament priests and the writer, Spirit of God, is saying, don't go back, don't leave Christ. Why would you go to another person, another human, another system that in some ways, not that the Old Testament is is bad, not saying that, but human beings are colossal failures apart from God. Jesus is not a colossal failure. He is a colossal success. Trust him. And then verse 28 is going to give even a little bit more nuanced clarification. It's going to put it another way. You can see verse 28, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. The book of Leviticus wasn't bad. It wasn't evil. The, The book of Leviticus over and over said, basically, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. Therefore, there must be a, a sacrifice for this sin, this crime, infinite crime that we've committed against God. Here's the priest that can do that. Here's how they should do that. And here's how these sacrifices can and should be made. But it was a programmed to be a pattern of Christ who was to come. Because certainly it was not the blood of bulls and goats that could take away sin. And Hebrews 8 and 9 is going to get into that. 
It's not these human priests that could ever themselves either take away their sin. There had to be a perfect man with the perfect sacrifice, and that had to be the perfect God, the Son. That's what verse 28 is saying. And it's saying that this happened after the Pentateuch, not in terms of God's divine chronological mind, but in terms of revelation, Psalm 110, Psalm 22, others, Isaiah 53, gave more and more revelation that there would be a Messiah that would die on the cross, and Psalm 110, that this would be a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And God gave that oath, God gave that promise. And it came after the law. It came after the book of Leviticus in terms of the history of Revelation. And this Revelation taught and has taught that there would be a son and the son would be made perfect forever. And we've talked about what that means. It wasn't that Christ was imperfect. Rather, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus revealed his perfection. He was seen to be perfect. Acts chapter 2 talks about that by his death and resurrection, he was made Lord and Savior. Well, God the Son, by his very nature, is Lord and Savior. But by successful mission, he was seen to be the perfect Son of God. And this is what verses 26 to 28 then is teaching. Success. That is that Jesus is the most successful person, entity, that has ever existed and will ever, ever exist. And you can know him and you can be part of his family by saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, I I can't go to heaven based upon my own good deeds, my own good works, my own merit, anybody's merit except for yours. Call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Last... Uh, a few days, I don't know, maybe four or five days ago now, uh, V.J. Bruce passed. He, he died. He was in a coma for three years. I've known him since he was born. How old was he? 30, 31? He was hit by a boat when he was, I think, skiing or, or kneeboarding and was in a coma for three years and he just died. So hopefully I'll go and be part of that memorial service uh, July 1st. Well, right after that, my brother called. My brother is having open-heart surgery July 5th. Otherwise, he will die. (laughs) When it rains, it pours. Uh, We know that our brother Craig has had uh, been dealing with cancer and did in the past. Uh, There's been people here and of course, Pastor Brian died from cancer. You know, we all lose loved ones. Death is a historic reality in this lifetime. Not forever, but in this lifetime. I, I bring this up to say, death is real. <laughs> but even more real is Christ. Death will not last forever. There will come a time when death, it has been defeated, but there will come a time when death is completely obliterated. And there will no longer be any death. But Jesus Christ will be here and there always. So you should get to know Jesus 
Some of you aren't saved. Some of you have not repented and trusted Christ. You need to trust Christ today, not tomorrow, today, right now. And then some of you aren't really that serious about Christ. Maybe you're here because your wife brought you or your kids brought you or it's just the thing to do. Jesus is real. Death is real. It's time to get serious about Christ and get closer to him. Now, with that in mind then, just some brief exhortations from the text. And that is there's no imperatives in this first chapter. There's no imperatives here, but some exhortations that arise from the text. And 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, Preach the word and season out of season. Rebuke, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with great patience in teaching. So in, in that light then, just some brief exhortations. And you can see, if you have your notes, they all begin with the letter R. First, write. Write your thinking about Jesus Christ. Like a boat maybe needs to be made right, because if it doesn't, it's going to capsize. So there are many things in life that it doesn't really matter what you think about them. You don't have to, but raise your hand if you love the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, my word. I see one hand, maybe. You raised your hand, Lisa. Oh, you're itching your eye. Now, if I said, raise your hand if you are a Seahawks fan and you love the Seahawks fans. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Honest man. You know, in light of eternity, it doesn't really matter what you think about football. If I raised your, if I said, what do you think about Trump? And Biden, or Bush, or Clinton, or the Republicans versus the Democrats. Who's better? I'm not saying those things aren't unimportant. But when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, were you a Republican? I I guarantee you, he's not going to say that. That's not how you get into heaven. What truly matters is what do you think in your in your heart and in your head about Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he the one that truly matters to you more than anything or anybody else? That's what this text is really saying. Do you see him as your refuge? Do you see Jesus as what you need more than anything else? Fathers, it's Father's Day. What do you need more than anything else on Father's Day? You don't need more golf clubs. You need more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. Number two. The second word is resist. Resist distractions that cause you to drift away. I would think that most of you, even those that we have loved that have drifted away from Christ, it may not have been that one morning they woke up from their bed and raised their fists and resisted Jesus and said, no, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Never. Probably most of them did not 
start that way with an angry, clenched, raised fist at Christ. For most of them, and it can be a temptation for us, is that we and they end up getting distracted by things. We end up looking at other things in the world, even some things that in and of themselves may not be that bad, but then we place our affections on them more than on Christ. And before we know it, hobbies are more important to us. People are more important to us. Movements are more important to us than the person of Jesus Christ. And it's just because we were distracted. Perhaps this is why we have Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and a sin which so easily entangles ourselves, entangles us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Resist distractions. He's, I, the Bible doesn't say, and I'm not saying, don't have hobbies, don't have other loves, but our highest love and our highest devotion and our greatest affections are on Christ, and we have to work hard not to be distracted. Many things are happening in life and this world and Washington, whether it's sports, entertainment, or politics, a lot of things are going on. But the greatest thing that's going on is that Jesus is returning. And it could be soon. And so we fix our eyes on him. And we resist being distracted. Thank God for these gifts that we have. But worship the gift giver and not the gift. Think of it this way. If you decided to skydive, and you were skydiving, there could be a beautiful sunset. Beautiful. But if you're distracted by that sunset and don't pull your ripcord, you place yourself in a dangerous situation. Don't get distracted. It could be very dangerous for you. Instead, look at Christ. Number three, rest in his intercession. Rest in his intercession. We said... Be sure that you're thinking right thoughts about Christ, that your thoughts are that he's supreme, he is sufficient, he's Lord, he's Savior, he is all that you need. Second, resist being distracted by anything else. Focus on Christ. And then number three, rest in his intercession. And not just generally, but specifically. That is, verse 25 says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So then, we don't seek to save ourselves by any work, but especially through our prayers. Jesus lives the heartbeat of his life in one sense and one way of all that he's doing is to make intercession for you. That is, it's not your devotedness to do ministry for others that saves you. It's Christ's ministry for God the Father, to you that has saved you and will keep you saved. And so we rest in him and we rest in that work. Your 
Salvation is not cemented in how devoted you are to do ministry. It's cemented in how well Jesus did and does do ministry. I think that's what the context is saying, and even to these beloved believers in the book of, of Hebrews. That is, my hope isn't, I'm going to be able to do so much ministry for my family and for my others and for the world. I'm going to be able to do so much ministry that God's going to let me into heaven. That's not my hope. I hope to do ministry for Christ, but my hope to get into heaven is not what I've done or will do, but what Christ has already done and is applying to my life. And so we have to be careful that we rest in that. Again, I I go back to Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. Kiss the Son, how blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. It's a blessing to take refuge in His Son and to bow our knees with loving adoration because of who He is. Listen to Romans chapter 15 verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you are bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that you are bound in hope. Hebrews chapter 11 will talk about faith and hope. We'll see that in the near future. And when we rest in Christ, it's not that we cease working. We're not resting in our work. We're resting in His work. And that's where our joy and our peace and our hope comes from. It's not, what's all the work and all the ministry and how many people can I love and how many sacrifices can I make so that when I die, God will accept me. But rather, it's, I have peace, I have joy, I have hope, I have gladness because Jesus was successful in his ministry, in his mission. And I trust him and I rest in him. And that's what gives me hope. The best, most godly the best, most godliest of prayer warriors was Jesus Christ, and he loves to fight for you. And so we rest in that. We can rest in this. On your worst day, Jesus is still winning for you. On your worst day, Jesus still won for you and is still winning the battle and the war for you. That that atonement is once and for all done. It's being, it was and it is being applied to your life. And he won and is winning for you so you can trust him and rest in him. We have a great Savior. He is supreme and He is sufficient. Today is not and no day is a time to toss in the towel of your faith. But rather, today is a day to take hold of Christ by your faith. Take hold of Christ like you've never taken hold of Christ ever in your life. Why not? What would ever keep you from taking hold of Christ more than you ever have before? How would taking hold of Christ by faith 
getting closer to him by faith more than you ever have before, how would that ever truly hurt you? It, it may cost you, but it will bless you forever. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Give us grace now, Lord, to understand it and to do what it says. We praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.